Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it still speaks to us today. Thank you that your word is living and active because it comes from you. We pray that you'll help us this morning as we look at this uh, chapter uh, in Genesis. Help us to uh, see why the world is as it is. Help us to see more, Lord, what you have done, how you've been at work. So help us this morning by your spirit to respond rightly to your word and to live our lives in such a way that brings you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've seen over the past two weeks um, the creation of all things by the Lord God. He uh, made everything, and everything that he made was good, ending with uh, the pinnacle of his creation, the creation of mankind, uh, with the Lord at the end of creation uh, proclaiming everything to be very good. And we still uh, get a sense of that goodness as we look into our world. We can look at nature. Uh, the flowers and the trees at this time of year are uh, so pleasing to look at. The birds flying uh, in the sky, the fish swimming in the sea. We see uh, the goodness of God's creation in, uh, in us, in life, uh, in the miracle of birth, in the intricacy of uh, the human body. But as we look out into the world, we know the world is not uh, as it should be. We know there's something not quite right. I'm sure you will have seen it this week in the news. Uh, Deborah James being made a dame. Um, 40-year-old uh, lady on the end of life care because of uh, bowel cancer. There's something about that that doesn't seem right. Or the energy companies um, making billions of pounds profit in the first quarter of this year while there are so many people struggling to pay their gas and electric bills. It just doesn't seem right. There's something not right about that. Death, injustice, war, poverty. The world is not as it should be. There's something not right. This good creation that we've read about in Genesis 1 and 2 is not how the world is now. And so as we move into Genesis chapter 3, uh, we see the reason why the world is now as it is. We first see uh, disobedience. Verse 1 comes as, as a surprise. God's very good creation. And then all of a sudden we get this creature, this animal, uh, who is shrewd who's more crafty uh, than any of the animals, uh, any of the other animals. That, that's the surprise that there's something crafty in God's creation, in God's very good uh, creation. But as we go through the scriptures, we uh, come to see that this serpent um, is the devil. It, this serpent is Satan uh, coming and interacting with the woman and the man in the garden. 
Martin Luther explained, the devil was permitted to enter beasts as he here entered the serpent. For there is no doubt that it was a real serpent in which Satan was and in which he conversed with Eve. And so that's what we discover as we go through the scriptures. Um, But it seems to be at this point, um, as much as we might like to know more about this serpent and, and, and the origins uh, of it, it, it seems to be what is said is more important than who or what uh, this serpent is. And so this serpent slithers up um, to Eve, the woman, uh, and we see straight away the tactic uh, that the serpent is employing. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? We uh, see immediately uh, the serpent coming to cause doubt in the mind uh, of Eve, to cause doubt in the goodness of God. He questions God's uh, motives. Did God really say? Uh, Notice as we uh, saw last week uh, how the serpent addresses God, is God. Whereas last week we saw Lord God. Uh, And so we see uh, that distance immediately. And he uh, rewords what God has said. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You'll remember back in Genesis 1, uh, he said you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat from it, you will certainly die. So you see that subtleness uh, in, in uh, this temptation that the serpent's bringing, this, um, this doubt that he wants to uh, instill in uh, the woman uh, and the man. Did God really say you must not eat from any of the trees? Whereas God had actually said you can eat ev- from every tree, uh, bar one tree uh, in the middle uh, of the garden. We saw uh, last week that the Lord provided abundantly for his people. And so we see the serpent trying to cause doubt in the goodness of God and his word. So in, uh, so in doubt uh, in their minds. Uh, and don't we see that still today? Don't we, don't we see that doubt in God's word uh, in our world uh, today? Did Jesus really mean it when he said that he is the way, the truth, and the life? Only through me uh, can you get to the Father. Did Jesus really mean that? Did Jesus really mean when he said that marriage is between one man and one woman? Did he really mean uh, what he said? Is the Bible really that clear? We see it all the time, this uh, doubt in God's word. And so the serpent is coming, wanting Adam and Eve to doubt the goodness uh, and generous provision uh, of God. They want, uh, he wants them to doubt uh, this command, to doubt his uh, good word. He wants them to see, well, isn't that a little bit restrictive, what God uh, has said? Isn't that a bit boring? He's trying to take what is good uh, from a good God and make it seem restrictive. But as we saw last week, God's commandments are good. 
They were part of God's uh, original good creation. Uh, and Eve is falling for this temptation. She engages with the serpent and misrepresents uh, what God has said. Already this temptation is bringing a doubt into Eve's mind as she's been drawn away uh, to maybe understanding what God said uh, differently. And so notice how Eve addresses God, not Lord God, but God. And so already we're seeing that doubt uh, in her mind. Uh, she said to the serpent, we may, eat from, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And so we see already, um, she's adding to what God has said to make it sound even more restrictive following uh, the thought of the serpent. You must not even touch uh, the tree. She's getting sucked in and she is falling for this temptation brought by the serpent. And the serpent continues uh, contradicting the word of God. At verse 4, you will, you will not certainly die. He's uh, saying, uh, no, you won't die. Just go and eat the fruit and let's see what happens. You, you surely won't die. If God is good, then you won't die. Uh, and, and besides, you can go and eat the fruit and it'll just be our little secret. He doesn't even need to find out. It's just a piece of fruit. She's trying to make God out to be a liar. And again, it rings so true uh, for our world, doubting a holy God who will judge sin. And so this doubt comes in and we don't take sin as seriously as we should. It, it doesn't really matter. It's only a little sin. I've not murdered anybody. Uh, nobody else knows about it. Um, surely God will turn a blind eye. And then there's the danger that we can be conned into thinking uh, the same about other people. Well, God really wouldn't send them to hell. They wouldn't really end up uh, in hell unless they became uh, a Christian. And then the serpent continues in verse 5, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Why, why did God give them this command? Well, the serpent says because he wants to keep Adam and Eve uh, from becoming like him. He, he's saying, eat the fruit and you'll be like God. Uh, but this is the irony of it all. They're already like God. They're made in the image of God. But he says, your eyes will be opened and then you'll be uh, like God, knowing what is good uh, and evil. Uh, and so what is this good and evil that uh, he's talking about? Well, it can't be uh, doing good and evil because God doesn't do evil. Everything about him is good. Uh, and so what is it that 
it means that they will know good and evil. Well, it means that just like God is the one who determines what is good and evil, they too will be able to determine, determine what is good and what is evil. It is God who makes the rules. He decides what is right and wrong, what is good and what is evil. And so this offer of the serpent uh, is that Adam and Eve will be free from the restrictions of God and they will be able to live and rule however uh, they want. He's uh, coming and saying, why have God rule over you? Free yourselves from his killjoy rules. You can then decide for yourself what is right and what is wrong. If something is right for you, then uh, it can be right for you. It's about taking the place of God. That is the temptation that is being presented. It's ignoring him as king and putting a little crown on our own heads and living our lives uh, as our own king. You see, this temptation is coming uh, which questions the word of God, which brings doubt into his goodness. Uh, the serpent contradicts what God has said. And it's a temptation to reject God as king. And so sin is always to disbelieve God. It is always to deny the goodness of God, to ignore his word and believe something else. God said to them that, you, that if you eat from that tree, then you will die. And the serpent comes along and says, no, you won't. Sin is always to disbelieve God. Sin is always to disobey God. God said, don't, uh, and Eve did. She eats, and so does Adam. And, and this is one of the astonishing things about this chapter. that this, We have this interaction between the serpent and Eve, the woman, and we just think, and we don't hear anything from Adam, and we just think that maybe he's off doing his job, uh, doing his gardening work or whatever it is, uh, because he says nothing. At no point does he get involved. At no point does he uh, stop at what is going on. He's there all along. He eats the fruit. It's, it's astonishing that he does nothing. As we uh, see that, that, the creation order is then turned on its head. The Lord God, the creator, the king of all things, with Adam uh, under him, uh, and Adam being the head of the wife, and side by side, as we looked at last week, they're to uh, have dominion over creation. And all that is being reversed. We have the this, this serpent uh, teaching the woman who then leads the man uh, who then as we'll see in a moment tries to teach God the whole creation order uh, is being disrupted and distorted uh, and reversed and so they're tempted they eat the fruit their eyes were opened and they realized they uh, were naked 
And we saw last week at the end of chapter 2 that they were both naked and felt no shame. This uh, beautiful picture of marriage, uh, this oneness between the man and the woman uh, has been fractured. Their eyes have been opened, as the serpent said, uh, but now their eyes are open to their nakedness. They're now burdened by guilt and shame and embarrassment. They've exchanged wisdom for death. So Adam and Eve, the man and the woman, have both fallen to the temptation of the serpent. They rebel and reject. They disobey uh, the Lord. That is the disobedience, that is the sin. Uh, and sin has consequences, embarrassment, this uh, shame. They hide from the Lord. They can't face uh, God. And then we see that they can't face truth. When God asks them, uh, what have you done? Adam blames Eve, but he blames God. The woman you gave me, she um, gave me some uh, of the fruit to eat. Eve then blames the serpent. But what we see is uh, nobody willing to take responsibility for what has happened. I remember uh, as a kid, um, and you'll find this so hard to believe, that you know, sometimes I get in trouble. Um, you know, we might be messing about with a ball in the house and we might break something. Um, and then our parents would turn up and say, what has happened here? And we would all stand there, or I would certainly stand there and say, no idea what you're talking about. Don't, don't know. There's a reluctance to own up uh, when we've done things wrong. And that's what we have here with Adam and Eve. But that's not the end of it. The abundant blessing and provision of the Lord that we see in chapter 1 and chapter 2 uh, now changes to judgment as the Lord addresses uh, the three people in uh, chapter 3. And just as the cast entered with the serpent, the woman, and Adam, uh, that's how the Lord addresses them in his judgment. First, the serpent. Uh, and the judge, judgment here is that creation is distorted. All livestock is cursed with the serpent cursed above uh, all the others. Then we uh, have the woman. Uh, and the judgment is that family and marriage is distorted. Childbearing will be painful, severely painful. The relationship between a husband and a wife is changed. She will now desire her husband, and desire is, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. In chapter 4, there, sin desires to overcome Cain. Uh, but the challenge for him is to rule over uh, that unruly desire. And so the desire of the woman uh, is to control her husband. It's to rebel against the created order. That beautiful picture, picture 
of marriage uh, in chapter 2 is gone. Marriage is, is hard. And then third, the man, Adam. The judgment for him is that work is hard. Work is now distorted. Cursed is the ground, verse 17, because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your turn. Every time we attend a funeral, we're, we're reminded of that. And then if you think, all oh, that isn't bad enough. We then get to verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. They're now banished from the garden. They're away from God's place away from God's presence, sent away from the place that God walks. They're separated uh, from God, uh, now unable to relate to him as they once did. And so we see that all these relationships that were established in, in the first two chapters of Genesis, mankind with creation, mankind with God, mankind with each other, they've all been uh, distorted, they've all been tarnished uh, by sin. And so we see why the world uh, is, at it, it is as it is. We see why the world uh, is not uh, as it should be. Because just as Adam and Eve uh, did, uh, we too uh, rebel against God, we too disobey God, we too have sinned against him and so we might think that this is unfair that because of Adam and Eve those two people and their sin that why should that have an impact uh, on us and the world well we would do exactly the same or we do exactly the same we have and we do and we will do again give in uh, to temptation Temptation to doubt God, uh, his goodness. Temptation to doubt his word. We deserve uh, exactly what Adam and Eve deserved. But that's not the end of the story. There's, there's hope. And there's hope even in this chapter of Genesis. So notice, first of all, Verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. We see the Lord's continued care and provision. Even though they sinned, even though they rebelled against him, the Lord, in, in this way, cares and provides for his creation. The Lord doesn't leave his creation to deal with things itself. He provides these garments uh, for Adam and Eve. He doesn't abandon his image bearers. Yes, the privileges of the garden are gone. But the Lord still cares for his creation. 
And then ultimately, ultimately we see it in verse 15. As he uh, addresses the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. There will be one. There will be an offspring. There will be a seed that comes uh, from the woman that will be uh, the serpent crusher. You will strike his heel. The serpent will uh, bruise the heel uh, of this seed, of this offspring, but that blow is not a fatal one. Whereas uh, the woman's seed will come and strike the head of the serpent, serpent, and that will be a fatal blow. This promise is it is one that we wait to see to be fulfilled uh, throughout the rest uh, of Scripture. Uh, and we know the Lord is faithful to his promises. Uh, and we know who the one is who came uh, to crush the serpent. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. 1 John 3, uh, 8. We have uh, in verse 15 of chapter 3, the first uh, promise of a Savior. The first promise of a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. He's the one who came. He's the one who resisted temptation where Adam and Eve failed. He's the one who was obedient to the Lord as he went to the cross. He is the one who, as he hung on that cross, dealt that fatal blow uh, to sin, the world, and the devil. And so even this early in our Bibles, in chapter 3, the third chapter of our Bibles, uh, the world is not as it should be, yet God uh, is ready to send the one who would crush uh, the serpent. He is our hope. Uh, He is the one who will restore uh, the paradise that was lost. He is the one who who will bring God's people into God's place uh, and into God's presence. He is Jesus, uh, our great Savior, the one who died for us uh, and rose again. He is the one who puts things right. And he is the one uh, that we give all the praise and glory and honor because of his love shown to us on the cross. What a great Savior uh, we have. Let's pray. Father, as we've seen this morning and thought about, we know the world is not as it should be. We know that we've all rebelled uh, against you. We thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave your world, your creation without hope. Thank you for the promise uh, of the one who would come to crush uh, the serpent. The one who would come to defeat sin, the world, uh, and the devil. And so, Lord, we thank you once again.
for Jesus, our great Savior. Thank you that in him, our relationship with you is restored. Our sin is washed away. And that our hope is in him who brings eternal life and will lead us uh, to eternity with you. So Lord, we thank you this morning uh, once again uh, for Jesus, our Savior. Amen.